It is good to be with you today. And Mike mentioned it, but just in case we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Pastor Chad. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here, and I am thrilled to be with you. I'm so glad and thankful to be covered in prayer for today's journey. Um, just a cute story to, to set this up for us. Mike and his friend Tom, a, a pastor out in California, gather every year and contemplate and pray and reflect on what do we want the next year's sermon series to look like. And Mike had done a sermon series called Guardrails, so they didn't take as much time to flush this one out as many of the others, which took a little bit more energy, and there were paragraphs about scripture and what would be spoken about. This one just said, guardrails forever yours. And Mike said, hey, why don't you let me know what you want to preach on? And I thought, what, what a nice, safe topic, forever yours. It's got to be us, you know, simply pointing towards the Lord. And I, I love that topic. And about a month ago, we got ready because we were almost starting this series. And Mike said, Chad, forever yours is the sex talk. You're going, to be, you're going to be talking about sexual guardrails, moral guardrails. I said, oh, great. So here I am, I, I, and I do. I mean this. I have the privilege, but I know this is not an easy subject. Almost everybody in the room or at home has been injured by sexual sin, has been battling sexual sin, has battled sexual sin, that this is a very real, difficult topic and one that's vitally important. It's why God speaks to it and why we need to take this journey together. So the title of our message is Guardrails Forever Yours. If you're following in your Bibles, I encourage you to. We will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, zeroing in on verses 18 through 21 today want to start with just a story of when I do have the privilege to be the pastor over a wedding, I, I do a couple of things. They ask, would you consider being the pastor in our wedding? I say, I'd love to, but let me just point out two things that I want you to consider before you choose me. And the first is, I will say, I want to go through a time of premarital counseling with you. It's not that I'm an expert, but we have tools available to us, and I would like to challenge you as a couple to be thinking about what this marriage life will be like and, and process some important topics around marriage. And if they agree to that, then I will say, the other thing I can't help but do is in your ceremony I want to point to the Lord. I want to celebrate God with you as you enter in as husband and wife. And if you don't want that, I understand there are other avenues to getting married, but I'm not your guy because I, I need to do that if I'm going to oversee your wedding with you. And if both of those things get agreed on and they think I'm not a nut by then and running out of the room we begin our journey and we set up some times together and somewhere down the road getting closer to the actual day of the wedding we begin to plan the actual ceremony and one of my favorite parts of the ceremony is the wedding vows because i believe in wedding vows i believe they're beautiful and very important and i'll ask the couple 
Are, are you going to write your own wedding vows or would you like to do a more traditional wedding vow? And it isn't perfect, but about three out of four people that I have done marriages for choose to do more traditional wedding vows. So I'm going to use the vow that I love the most, and I'll use my wife's carry in me as the example. So here's how it looks. I, Chad, take you, Carrie, to be my wedded wife. I promise to love and cherish you, to be faithful to you, to honor you, and to be your best friend. I promise to be the husband that you need in plenty and in want, in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live. I make these promises before these witnesses and before God. Now, I love this vow. And one of the things I love about it is there is a promise. There is a profound commitment to love and cherish and to be faithful to you. And I am 100% convinced if we, in our relationship with our spouse, can cherish and love and be faithful, we, we can weather almost any storm. I think marriages are challenged when we lose faithfulness, when trust gets lost, when it's damaged by sexual sin or, or by a lie or a damage that comes to that foundation of trust and faithfulness. That's why I think today's topic is so important. Because if we remain faithful, I believe that foundation is a foundation that almost every marriage can weather storms and difficulties going forward together. So if there's one relationship on this earth that I would argue absolutely positively needs guardrails, it's the marriage relationship or the dating relationship, which may lead to marriage. Guardrails around marriage, moral guardrails, are vitally important. Last week, Mike spoke about a true guardrail it is designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous places or into areas that are off limits. Well, I just want to remind us that a guardrail, as we're using the term in this series, it is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. In, in other words, it's something that we design and plan in our lives that kind of puts off a warning bell if we get to going off to the edge of the road in an area of our life, whether it be finances or morality. And so we set up the guardrail as a place in our conscience that says, warning, I don't dare go any farther than this. I need to get back into the center of the road in this area of my life. So today we'll be talking about the importance of not just setting up a moral guardrail or guardrails, but living by those guardrails to protect marriages, to protect dating relationships. And here's why I think this is so vitally important right here, right now. Because we live in a time where our culture is baiting us. It is 
tempting us to ignore moral guardrails and wedding vows and simply drive off the road pursuing personal pleasures wherever they take us. You think about fishing. Fishing, we use bait to catch the fish, right? Well, the bait is only effective because it is hiding the hook, which is actually something very dangerous for the fish. Good for the fishermen, but not so good for the fish because it is hidden from the fish. They see it as something interesting, enticing, tempting. It's bait, and they grab it. And surprise, there's a hook. I think sexual sin is a lot like that. We get baited, we get tempted, and somehow we convince ourselves, I can go this far and I'll be fine. And so often, that's just the door cracking open to something much worse in our lives and our marriages. So so our culture is saying, go ahead, pursue personal pleasure. You deserve it. It's okay. Think about this. And we could go through numerous examples. I I just want to give one because it's so powerful. Let me show you the statistics surrounding pornography in our culture. The average age of first exposure to pornography is now 11 years old. And that's getting younger by the year. So more and more of our young children are getting exposed at a much earlier age than it used to be. 35% of downloads from the internet are pornographic in nature, one-third of them. 40 million Americans say they regularly visit porn sites. And I would argue it's more than that because these are the folks who are actually willing to admit it. (laughs) One-third of internet porn users are women. I say this only to say it's a huge, huge problem for men. But many don't know that there are many women also struggling struggling with pornography. And it's not just pornography that threatens us. I feel like that's a little bit more obvious to us. Even if we're dabbling in it, even if we're doing it, I think in the back of our minds we know this is wrong. But let me say something that I think is more dangerous in terms of baiting and tempting us. Shows that are now in prime time on our television are baiting us. Shows like The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, movies just make sex outside of marriage now just natural and commonplace. And the strange thing is somehow we have convinced ourselves that it's okay for us to be voyeurs peering into these relationships that are not marriage relationships, they're not demonstrate marriage as God designed it, And we witness and we look in and we peer in as if it's somehow okay. And here's the challenge I want to lay before us today. If we could get this one thing right, if we could set up and follow moral guidelines when it comes to our sex lives, it would change the world for such a better way. Let me just name some of the things that would change. We'd have fewer unwanted pregnancies. There would be less poverty. There would be less domestic violence. There would be fewer kids in the foster care system. There'd be fewer boys and girls who grow up in homes without a mom or a dad in the household. So so we, as uncomfortable it is, we need to talk about this. 
We need to look at how God has designed us and wants us entering these relationships. And the second reason I want to share this message and believe it's so vitally important that we hear it and try our best to receive it is I don't think the Big C Church has done a very good job of talking about sex and sexual sin. At one point, I believe the church just made sex sound like it was evil no matter what. And that's a sad truth because God designed us to be attracted and to share intimacy with our spouses in marriage. And it's beautiful and it's good in that situation and we should feel no shame when it's within the realm of marriage as God designed it. So there's one, but the other I think is more common today is the church knows this is uncomfortable and pastors don't enjoy talking about it so they just kind of skirt the issue carefully and we don't look at what God has for us and calls us to in his word. So today I want to do that with you. And we're going to begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. These are the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes his letter to the church in Corinth. And he says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul begins this passage of scripture with a profoundly important guardrail for us that we can use in all circumstances to protect ourselves from sexual sin. Paul calls on us to flee, to flee from sexual sin, to run from it, to turn the other way and move as quickly and far away as possible. I love Pastor Andy Stanley was the one to write this sermon series in the beginning. And Pastor Andy Stanley says this. It really struck me as I was preparing this week. And it's the first note in your bulletin today on guardrails for healthy relationships, the first is this. God calls on us to flee from sexual sin while our culture encourages us to flirt with sexual sin. Isn't that an interesting contrast? God's word says flee, turn and run. It's the best thing you can do to protect your relationship but our culture over and over again says, hey, come a little closer. This is pleasing to your eye. You'll, you'll enjoy this, trust me. So, so our, our culture says, flirt. D don't worry, just, just get a little closer, come to the edge. You're not doing anything wrong by getting to the edge and just peering in. Everything's gonna be okay. But let me challenge us with this. We may think of fleeing as old-fashioned. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, right? Is this still relevant in our culture today? Well, let me ask you this. I believe it's what every husband wants his wife to do. I believe fleeing is what every wife 
wants her husband to do. I believe fleeing is what every fiance wants their fiance to do. I believe fleeing is what every big brother wants his little sister to do. I believe fleeing is what every person we love and care for, we want them to do. Because we know some of us have been hurt, some of us have fallen off the edge, and we know the damage of sexual sin. And so we, in our heart of hearts, know that fleeing is the best thing we could be doing to protect our marriage and our dating relationships. And we long for it for those that we love. It's interesting. I don't know how many sermons I've heard, but one of the sermons my former pastor taught that I have not forgotten to this day, he didn't call it guardrails, but he was talking about sexual sin. And I remember it as though it was preached yesterday. And he was talking about his own battle. He got very vulnerable with us. And he said, you know, when a beautiful woman walks in the door of the room, I can feel my heart rate go up and I can tell that I'm in a vulnerable place. And he said, I used to struggle with with lust in that situation. And I made a clear decision. He was setting up a guardrail. He didn't call it that. But he said, I made a clear and conscious decision that I would never allow a glance to become a gaze, which would become a stare and open me up to lusting after that beautiful woman. I remember sitting in the audience and thinking, whoa, that, that, was, that was honest, it was vulnerable, and I have been so thankful that he allowed me into his life like that and, and shared the battle, but also the plan to walk forward and break free. And he based it off a scripture. He based it off the very words of Jesus who says it very bluntly and very directly to us in Matthew's gospel, chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says these words. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Adultery is sexual relations between a married person and someone they're not married with. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, Jesus ups this level of of what sin looks like in this world. He says the moment we've lusted after another person, we've already committed adultery. We've already gone past the guardrail by lusting after them in our hearts. And and so Jesus doesn't end right there. If you've read this text, you know what he says next. He says, he goes on to say, listen, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, (laughs) remove it. And, And I don't believe Jesus is literally saying, gouge out your eyes. But I do believe he is making an extreme and absolute that we need to understand and be crystal clear that when it comes to lust and it comes to falling off the edge, we need a strong guardrail in place to protect us from sexual sin. Dangerous environments require extreme measures. 
They require powerful guardrails to protect us from our sinful nature. Now, I want to take us back to the text we began with. After saying, Paul writes, flee from sexual immorality, he goes on to say, all other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. After sharing this passage, I love what Pastor Andy Stanley said about it. I want to put it up for us. He said, the value of a container is determined by what is in the container. I want you to think about that with me. The value of a container isn't the container itself. It's what's inside the container that gives it value or or no value. The Apostle Paul, getting back to our text, is challenging us. Do you not understand as a follower of Jesus, as one who's given their life to Jesus, do you not understand that your body is now the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? In other words, you have become the container holding the Holy Spirit of God that now dwells inside of you. So sexual sin is not just a sin that hurts others. Paul says sexual sin hurts your own body, the very temple of the Holy Spirit of God. This is why I believe sexual sin was set out by the Apostle Paul, pointed to so specifically, because I believe it is uniquely damaging. I believe it does damage in in ways other sin does not do. I believe sexual sin hurts our relationship vertically with God. I believe sexual sin hurts the one we love and we've done the sin against. But it also, as the Apostle Paul says, it does damage to our own body, which is the Holy Spirit's container. Therefore, does it surprise you and I that this is the sin we so want to keep in the darkness. This is the sin we so want to hide and let nobody see. It's because of the shame and the guilt and the brokenness that comes from sexual sin. Because I believe it is unique, not because sin is unique, but this sin does damage in so many ways. It invades the intimate spaces we have with God, with others, and with ourselves. I just want to pause because I felt the weight in the first service and I can feel the weight here. I just want us all to know that no matter your past, no matter the damage sexual sin has done in your life, whether you've been hurt by it, whether you're struggling with it today, I just want us to know that God is healing us in Christ Jesus. God so wants all of us to have a way forward from here in Christ. He wants to give us the strength 
to journey from this place into a new life. And so would you just take a moment with me and pray in this place with me? Lord God, I I love the song we sang, I need you. Oh, how I need you. How we need you every single day, Lord. May your healing touch touch those who are struggling and fighting and losing the battle with sexual sin. May your healing touch touch those who have been hurt and are struggling to forgive and, 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 and are dealing with the brokenness and the pain. May your healing touch help us all navigate forward and receive the new life we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we need to understand Christ came for this purpose, to break the chains of sin, to heal us, to forgive us, for his compassion and mercy to abound in and through us. So wherever you are in this, you are loved, you are forgiven, and now with God's help, we break the chains and we go forward from this place. Now, I want to share some good news. Here's the thing. I don't have to tell you what tempts you. I don't have to tell you what it is that baits you, that puts you into a vulnerable place. You already know. You already know the things that you are struggling with. You already know that this is a dangerous tool for you. You already know that when you bring this into the bathroom, and I'm not saying that's wrong for everybody, but there's some that's wrong. (laughs) Because this is when you have a private moment and you are vulnerable. So the good news is you already know those places. You already know the person in your workplace that makes you feel a little funny inside. And that if you're not careful or you choose to say yes to the lunch or you do a little bit of texting beyond normal, you're vulnerable. I don't have to tell you that. You already know. So, so God says through the Apostle Paul, flee from those places. So that's our first guardrail. Flee from those places you already know you're vulnerable. The, the second guardrail I want to suggest today, and these are just suggestions, is you need to talk about how you want to interact with other men and women outside of your marriage. I wish I would have been told this in the beginning of my marriage. We, we were moral, we, we stayed faithful, but nobody told me this. And I was in a weird environment because I was in sales. And we'd have quarterly meetings that would take a bunch of young men and women and take them off-site for three days, four days, and, and we would be there together without our spouses, meeting and, and working through work all day, Then we'd have dinner together, and then there would be social time. And and I contended, and I was honoring to my wife in how I navigated that. But we never had this conversation where I said, what's the most honoring way I can engage in these social settings that won't make you feel vulnerable? So, So one night I call her. This is, folks, this is how old I am. This is before cell phones, okay? So I'm at a pay phone. We finish dinner. We're in a restaurant bar. The band starts. 
And, and you can imagine if, if Ari had the drums going and, and, and everything you could to make sound, that's over in the corner. And I'm sitting here on my payphone saying, good job, Chad. You're calling your wife. You're doing the right thing. And, and I'm like, sweetie, I'm just checking in. Oh, no, that's the band. Yeah, people are dancing. Crickets. I'm like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Folks, we hadn't had this conversation. I thought I was being honoring because I was checking in. My wife was feeling very vulnerable because she's like, he's there with a bunch of men and women. It's 9.30 at night. There's people dancing. I'm 300 miles away. This is weird. I'm not saying you can't do that. But what I'm saying is, if you have the conversation and you say, what would be honoring to you when I'm in this environment? How would we best navigate forward from here? You have the conversation, and then you contend to honor that. It would have felt totally different if we had had the conversation. So be direct and talk to each other. What does it look like when we talk to those of the opposite sex outside of our marriage? Three, tell your spouse about it, right? There will be times when it is necessary. You can't help it. Your work requires it. You're in a circumstance at school. Tell the one that you're dating or you're married to, hey, I just want you to know, tonight we'll be on a phone call together. This person will be there. This person will be there. I, if you have any questions, please ask me. I want to lay it all on the table before you, but I don't want you to be surprised. So tell your spouse when you are in those situations or you will be in those situations. Because here's what makes us vulnerable when we think it's better that we keep it in the dark and hope they never find out. That, that should be a warning bell for us. And, and I just want to share some warning signs that you might be straying dangerously close to the guardrail. One, if you are hesitant to tell your spouse about the situation or the relationship. If you're struggling and thinking, ah, I think I'd better just keep this to myself, I think alarm bells should be going off. If you can't talk about it with your spouse, I think you're in a dangerous place. Even if the conversation's going to be hard, get it out into the light. Another warning if you're nervous, if your spouse sees the history on your phone or your laptop, and I would say if you erase your history regularly for that reason, warning, warning. Your spouse should have open access to your information. They should know your passwords. They should get to go in, and you should be able to have a conversation anytime. And when they're walking up to your cell phone or your laptop, your heart shouldn't be racing. You should find peace. And, and that would be another warning that you're getting into a dangerous area and you need a guardrail. So as we get ready to wrap up this message, I think all of us are left to decide how do we walk forward from here? Do I want to put up guardrails? Do I want to find the capacity to flee? Or do I enjoy flirting? Our culture says, flirt. What God is calling us to do is flee. And I just want to say this. 
Fleeing honors God. Fleeing honors your spouse. Fleeing honors the person you are dating. Fleeing honors you. It honors your kids. It honors your future kids. It honors your grandkids and so many others that I probably can't mention them all. But here's the thing. Fleeing requires guardrails. It requires guardrails. And here's what I'll close with. I am, I think, 100% confident. I was trying to decide if I should say 100. I think it's 100% confident that, that if you were to set up moral guardrails today, and with God's help, you fight and you contend to live by them. I, I will say this. Five years from now, 20 years from now, you will not look back at those guardrails and say, what a waste of time. I think you will look back and be so glad you set those guardrails in place. Folks, let's have moral guardrails. Let's not be feeling condemned or let shame drown us for our past. But every one of us, from this day forward, we can walk forward with God's help in a way that's honoring to him and honoring to those whom we love. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the promise that they are new every single day. Lord, meet us in this place. Wherever we are, whether we're struggling with sexual sin, whether we've been hurt by it, whether we're just trying to live in a way that's glorifying to you and helps us set guardrails in place that will be honoring to all those people you place into our lives. Lord, we need you. Every single day, I need you. We need you. Lord, may your mercy, love, and grace wash over us. Lord, give us strength we don't have on our own to walk in the ways that glorify you. We love you, God. Thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.